you have your Bibles with me, you can open them to the book of Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Growing up during the 60s and 70s, I grew up with Sesame Street. My kids grew up with Sesame Street. I was always fascinated with the puppets on Sesame Street. Later on, of course, I found out that they were not called puppets, they were Muppets. And my favorite Muppets on Sesame Street were Bert and Ernie. In particular, Ernie. (laughs) I love Bert and Ernie. But I always wondered, how did they do that? I didn't ever see anybody uh, with their hands moving the Muppets around. Sometimes I would see that some of the Muppets had, had arms like this, and I could see a little rod that was holding up their hands and so forth. But, but I wondered, what did it look like behind the scenes with the Muppets? And so I was interested, uh, recently I saw a program that was called Behind the Scenes with the Muppets. And there were a number of segments where they showed uh, what was going on behind the scenes with the Muppets. And there was one particular segment of Bert and Ernie that I was, I was especially interested in. It was one where Ernie was playing a drum set. Now, being a drummer myself, I was especially interested in that. And I noticed that Ernie was playing, and as he was playing, he was singing. And with his hands, he, was liter- he had drumstick- drumsticks and was literally playing a small toy drum set. And, and I was just noticing him. He was hitting the right notes, the right uh, uh, cymbals and so forth with, at the right time. And I thought, how are they doing that? How can one person be doing that? And so they showed him playing the drums and then they, they backed away. And you find out that Ernie, is, Ernie and Bert are both on this tall platform. And under Ernie, there's one person who has his left hand and his right hand in the arms of Ernie, holding the drumsticks, playing the drums, while right behind this this person is another person who has his one hand up and controlling Ernie's head and his mouth, and he has a microphone with him so that he's saying what Ernie is saying. So there are two people making Ernie do this one uh, segment that Ernie is doing. Seeing behind the scenes. I love behind the scenes. I, I like watching, uh, uh, watching magicians do magic tricks and then turn around and see behind the scenes how they do those magic tricks. I like that. John and his readers must have been interested in what was going on behind the scenes. They were going through a tremendous crisis For many of them, the most intense crisis they'd ever experienced in their lives. And they wanted to know where God was, and John answered that. And they wanted to know why they were going through what they were going through, and he answered that. And they wanted to know their future, and he tells them that. But they they also wanted to know what is going on behind the scenes. And in chapters 12 through 14 of the Revelation, John is given a glimpse behind the scenes as to what's going on. I want to read for you the first 13 verses, Revelation chapter 12. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red 
dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour the child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. John is a man who's in prison. He's been put in prison because of his faith. He is writing to the members of seven churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. At that time, it was the Roman province of Asia. It was under the control of the Roman Empire, and they were suffering religious persecution. Because they were Christians, because of their testimony, the Roman Empire was punishing them. Some of them lost their jobs. Some of them lost their homes. Some of them had their families dispersed to to different areas of the Roman Empire. Some of them were tortured. Some of them were killed. They were asking questions. Among the questions they were asking is, what is going to happen to us? And John answers that question in chapters 6 through 18. In chapters 6 through 18, we see seven seals opened. Then we see seven trumpets opened blown, and then we see seven bowls poured out. When the seven seals are opened, what happens in those seven seals impacts one-fourth of the earth. When the trumpets are blown, the events that come to pass after the trumpets are blown affect not one-fourth, but one-third of the earth. The intensity is growing. In chapters 16, 17, and 18, when the seven bowls are poured out, the events that occur as a result of the seven bowls being poured out affect not one-fourth of the earth, not one-third of the earth, but the whole earth. And so from chapters 6 through 18, 
what John is, is saying to his readers is, here's the future. It's going to get progressively worse before it gets better, but it will get better because at the end of each series of sevens, Christ comes and he intervenes at the end of each series. So it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's your future. But there is an interlude in these chapters. In chapters 12, 13, and 14, John breaks away from the series of sevens, and he is shown a behind-the-scenes look at what is going on. Now, this is interesting. If you start, if you start at chapter 1 of the Revelation, John is able to see their crisis from the perspective of earth. That's where we all start. We see it from what we observe around us and, and what is happening to us directly. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. In chapter 4, John is invited up to heaven so he can see the crisis from a heavenly perspective, from the big picture view. When I'm still down on earth, all I can see is my crisis and I think it'll never end. But when I'm taken up to a heavenly perspective, what I see is that this crisis that I think will never end actually had a beginning point and it has an ending point. It is temporary. And so John and his readers needed to see the big picture. But now, beginning with chapter 12, he's enabled to, to back away and see what is going on behind the scenes. You ever been through a crisis? You ever had the legs just knocked out from under you in a crisis? Did you know that behind every crisis you experience, there is a larger cosmic spiritual battle that is, that is being waged that you and I don't even see? It's not that often that the scriptures take us behind the scenes to see what's going on behind a given situation. Very seldom. But occasionally, the scripture writers do. For instance, in the Old Testament, the book of Job. Job had all of his, all of his children killed in a tornado. He had uh, uh, most of his uh, flocks, ten thousands and ten thousands of flocks, killed by enemy raiders. He had his health taken away, almost to the point of death, but just shy of death. All these things happened, and you read through all the chapters of Job, and Job never does know what you know, having read the book from chapter 1. Because chapters 1 and 2 tell us what, go on, what, what went on behind the scenes of Job's crisis. Behind the scenes, there was this conversation between God and Satan. Do you remember it? God says, have you seen my servant Job? There's nobody quite like him. And Satan says, well, yeah, I guess so. I would serve you too if all you did was good and you kept me from anything bad happening to me. And God says, all right, I'll let you do some bad stuff to him, but you can't touch him. And then you can't kill him. There's this verbal sparring that's going on behind the scenes between God and Satan. And Job goes through the whole story without even knowing about it. But you and I have the benefit of getting a glimpse of what was going on behind the scenes. So we get the behind the scenes glimpse in Job. We see another behind the scenes glimpse in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus, after he was baptized, is carried out by the Spirit into the desert. 
He's out there all alone, 40 days, 40 nights, not a bite to eat. And all of a sudden, Satan comes along and he begins tempting him. This temptation was necessary in order for Jesus to be prepared for his ministry. Matthew describes it in Matthew chapter 4. Mark describes it in chapter 1. Luke describes it in chapter 4. And Jesus counters Satan with the very scripture, the very word of God. But that encounter with Satan provides a behind-the-scenes glimpse at what happens with every crisis you and I face in life. Because no matter what the crisis is you face, behind the scenes, there is a spiritual battle between the forces of God and the forces of Satan. Paul alludes to it in Ephesians chapter 6. He's writing to the churches uh, in and around Ephesus, and he says this in chapter 6, verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then listen to this, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That is, it's not against another human being. Your struggle is not against that person who doesn't like you or that person with whom you disagree. Your struggle is not against whoever the president is at any given time. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world. Well, who are they? And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual conflict behind every crisis you face in life. We don't see it. But it is a part, a major part of the bigger picture of what is going on behind the scenes. And so in chapter 12, John is given a glimpse into what is happening behind the scenes of this huge crisis that he and his readers are facing. And it's described for him in chapters 12, 13, and 14. If you look at chapter 12, there are some weird things that go on. And so I just want to take each of those weird pictures one at a time. And let's take a look at them. In these chapters, first of all, we see, number one, a woman about to give birth. Did you see that? Chapter 12, verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. She has a crown with 12 stars on her head. We're also told that she's pregnant And she's crying out in pain as she is about to give birth. Now, the question for you and me is, who is this woman? Who is this woman? We later find that she gives birth. Uh, She gives birth to a son. This son is to rule the nations with an iron scepter. Now, we read that immediately. We think about, well, the son that this woman has given birth to is Jesus. Is that what you think of? Hello? Yeah. Yeah. This is Jesus that she gave birth to. Therefore, who is this woman? Immediately we think, well, this woman is Mary. And there's a part of this description that certainly Mary fits. But then the Bible says that this dragon that we're about to meet, he starts trying to attack the male child and the male child is snatched up and the woman is carried off in protective custody into the desert. That doesn't sound like Mary. And so some people have looked at this passage and they say, well, it's Mary. Some people have said, no, uh, really, it's, it's Israel because God chose Israel as the nation through whom to bring about the birth of the Messiah. Therefore, this woman is, is, is not Mary, but Israel. 
Some people come up and they say, no, it's not Israel. It, it's the church. It's the church. But the church didn't give birth to the Messiah. The Messiah really gave birth to the church. And so some people have said, well, maybe it's the people of God. And the fact of the matter is that there are different characteristics of this woman that fit Mary. Some of them fit Israel. Some of them fit the church. Some of them fit the people of God as a whole. This woman who's giving birth to a child. There's a second thing we see in this uh, description of behind the scenes, and that is a red dragon. A red dragon, verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon. He had seven heads. Picture that, seven-headed red dragon. He had ten horns. He had seven crowns on his seven heads. He had a long tail that swept a third of the stars out of the sky. Now, what are the stars? Well, Revelation chapter 1 says that the stars are the angels. Remember, there were seven stars in chapter 1, and John is told that those seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. And so here, the dragon with his tail sweeps a third of the stars or angels out of the sky or heaven. This dragon is none other than Satan himself pictured here as a red dragon. Keep in mind, these are not to be taken literally. These are symbols. This is symbolic language. This woman who could be Mary, could be Israel, could be the church, could be the people of God, gives birth to a son. There is a red dragon, long tail, seven, uh, seven heads, seven crowns, ten horns. And this dragon, Satan doesn't literally look like that, but this is a symbolic description of, of who Satan is. So you see this woman about to give birth. Second, there's a red dragon. Number three says there is a child born who will rule the nations. And we're further told that this child, once he is born, is immediately snatched up to God. Boy, this is getting stranger by the moment. Now picture this. Here's this woman. The Bible says she has a crown she's expecting. Right at the point of, a, of giving birth, she gives birth to a child. The Bible here also tells us this, that there is this red dragon, seven heads, seven crowns, ten horns, long tail, who is standing right in front of the woman so that as soon as she gives birth, he can grab the child and destroy the child. But before he has the opportunity to destroy the child, the child is born. And you and I have already looked and said, well, this child is Jesus. But the Bible says that before the dragon can get the child, God snatches the child up and to his throne in heaven. Again, this is not to be taken literally. It's symbolic language. We know that when Jesus was born, he wasn't born. And while he was still in Bethlehem, snatched up to heaven to God's throne. We know that that is not what happened. This is symbolic language. What happened was Jesus was born. And over the course of the next 30 to 35 years, Satan did everything he could to destroy him. First, it was with Herod, trying to destroy the innocents in Bethlehem and thereby destroying the Christ child. But it didn't work. And then there was Satan in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. And he tried to destroy Jesus, but it didn't work. And then he tried to do it through the scribes and Pharisees, the religious people. But it didn't work. 
And then he tried to pay Judas, actually did pay Judas to betray Jesus and hopefully destroy Jesus that way. But it didn't work. And then he had the Roman authorities with the Jewish people behind them nailing Jesus to the cross. And he thought for sure, now I've got him, now I've got him. But it didn't work. All along the way. Satan, this old red dragon, tried, to, tried to, to destroy the Christ child, but it didn't work. And then in the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension that happened 40 days after the crucifixion, Jesus was, he ascended back to the Father. He was snatched up to God, to God's throne. And the Bible says that once he was in heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God, a place of authority and sovereignty. So we've got this woman, we've got this dragon, we've got this child that was born to rule the nation, snatched up to God. And then the the fourth thing you see in, in this chapter is there was a war in heaven. A war in heaven. Now, verses 7 through 9 describe a war that goes on in heaven. Now, I want you to understand something right here. Are you, are you with me? Don't check out on this. John is not seeing or writing in chronological order. He's not writing in chronological order. This war that he's about to describe in heaven did not occur after the birth and resurrection of Jesus. It occurred ages ago. Even before Adam and Eve were created, this war took place sometime in the distant, distant, ancient past. But now John is describing it beginning with verse 7. He says, and there was war in heaven. And he gives the characters in this war. Michael, who was one of the few named angels in the Bible. He was one of the leading angels in heaven along with Gabriel and Lucifer, which we'll get to in a minute. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. We've already said the dragon was Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back. In the Old Testament, we we learn that that, uh, in, in ancient past God, when he created angels, he created kind of a hierarchy of angels. Angels didn't all stand on the same plane. There were some angels who had authority over the other angels. One was uh, Michael. One was Gabriel. One was Lucifer. There may have been others. But Lucifer, although he was given great authority, even even called the angel of light, it wasn't enough for him to have great authority in heaven. He wanted to be on the same plane with God. And so he decided to uh, come up with a coup, a revolt, to try to become himself equal with God, maybe even to replace God. And he was so cunning in what he did that he convinced a third of all the angels in heaven to go with him. We're going with him. And they waged war. And God's angels, led by Michael, went to war against Lucifer and and the angels that he had led led astray. And the Bible says there was this big war. And then verse 8 but the dragon, that is Lucifer or Satan, was not strong enough and he and his angels, they lost their place in heaven. They lost their place. And the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down where? To the earth. Aren't you glad of that? He was hurled down to the earth. Where is he? He's among us. He comes to church every Sunday. He goes to your house every day. He's sitting at your dinner table. He's sleeping in your bedroom. He's driving with you in your car. 
He was hurled to the earth. So see this ancient war that took place that Satan lost. And as a result, he's hurled to the earth. Now, what else is happening? There's a fifth thing that this chapter talks, to, uh, talks about. It says, the dragon makes war against the woman's offspring. Now, we've already said this woman is a combination of Mary, Israel, the church, God's people. We've already said that this son is Jesus. But listen to what verse 13 said. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And then verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at this woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Who are they? Those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So Satan loses this ancient battle. He's hurled along with a third of the angels of heaven who followed him and lost down to earth. And ever since that time, they have worked in opposition to every person who's ever tried to live for Christ, including John, including John's readers, including you. Behind every crisis you face... There is in the background, behind the scenes, a spiritual cosmic battle with God on one side and Satan on the other side. And Satan is fighting against every move you make that is in line with what God wants you to do. And so John says to these people, I know you're in a crisis. You don't understand fully what's going on. But he says, I want you to know that when, as long as you are staying in line with God, as long as you're on His side, you are fighting on the right side. And although there will be struggles now, although there will be trouble now, even though sometimes your, your situation will get worse before it gets better, it will get better because God will be victorious. But you and I have to decide which side we're on. With every crisis, you and I have to decide. We must decide which side we're on. Are we going to side with Satan and evil and ungodliness? Or are we going to side with God, with Christ, and with victory? There's more going on in your crisis than what you see. Every crisis, there's more going on than what you see. Why did John tell these people this? Why? Because he wanted to motivate them. And he wants to motivate us. That in times of crisis especially, we must place our trust in Christ. The question is, where's your trust? Do you know Christ? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Have you been saved? Has there been a time in your life when you invited the Lord into your life to be your Savior and Lord? We're about to sing. We'll stand up. And for some people, this is a sign that we're about to go home. But it's not a sign that we're about to go home. It's a sign that decisions are about to be made. It's an opportunity for lives to be changed. It's an opportunity for you to choose which side you will align yourself to. Do you know Christ? 
You say, well, I, I do know Christ. Are you a member of a local church? Has God led you to join this church? And if so, what are you waiting for? Maybe you've been saved and you are a member of this church. There's something else God has been dealing with you about. You know what it's like. I don't have to tell you what it's like for God to deal with you about something. What is it? What do you need to do about it this morning? The invitation is your opportunity for life change. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for opening our eyes to what's going on behind the scenes. Help us to know that in every crisis, behind every crisis we face, there is something bigger going on, something larger at stake. There's something cosmic and spiritual going on. And that you're always fighting on our behalf. Lord, help us to make the decision to join up on your side. I pray for people who don't know you as their Savior, that they would come into this altar and invite you to be their Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray for life change in this, this next few moments. As we stand up to sing, Lord, let it not be a sign that we're going home, but a sign that lives are about to be changed. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.